0: I Love My Church month, I thought we'd start with a good I Love My Church testimony, and I thought of nobody that loves their church as much as me, but I didn't figure you want to hear my testimony. (laughs) But somebody who comes real close to loving this church as much as I do, I wanted to introduce you to the love of my life, my wife, Miss Angie Sheffield.
1: Hey, y'all <laughs> know how much I love to get up here and talk. <sighs> you would think that after being here for 21 years and being pastors that it wouldn't take everything in me to get up here, but it still does. <laughs> and that's because what God calls you to do, you ought to have God to do it. He calls you to do things that are not comfortable to you, <laughs> you they get comfortable to you. But he calls you out of your comfort zone and to do things that you can't do on your own. And and so that's how we ended up here somehow. So uh, <laughs> we came here 21 years ago. Uh, we just came here visiting just like many of y'all. Uh, our marriage was on the rocks. We were on the verge of divorce. And my friend, who just happens to be here again today when I talk about her, Tina, she's on the front row, she invited us here, and uh, when we first came here, uh, the first time we ever came, I really liked the people, but it was a little—we were way wild back then. Way, way. This is calm compared to how it was back then. <laughs> so we we liked the people, but we were like, yeah, I don't know, we're we don't really—that's a little too much for us. So we we visited once, and we didn't come back for a, about a year and a half till everything dropped out. You know, the bottom drops out, and everything—you're about to lose your family and everything else. And then you you know where I knew because I had been raised in a Christian home where I needed to go and, and the person who could heal my marriage so anyway we came we knew exactly where we wanted to go I, we came to spirit of life it was known then uh it was hard for me to to think of over 21 years what I want to say about I love my church you know without going into our whole testimony or just talking about us but the church what is it about this church and so what I loved in the beginning what I've loved all along is the people in our culture and culture is kind of like the way you do things, the way if you go to Chick-fil-A, every Chick-fil-A is the same. They say, my pleasure. They say all the same stuff, you know, every Chick-fil-A. And that's their culture. And I feel like we have a culture here, and it's uh, welcoming, it's loving people, it's making you feel at home, and I, I love that. I don't want to go somewhere I have to feel like, oh, i got to be this something I'm not you know you could just be you because we're all just like you we came here the same way and everything else Mm -hmm. so I love that about our church Um, warm fun loving family we're fun I love that part about our church thanks to my funny husband so uh, (laughs) uh, I've said over the years that church reminds me of a marriage because there's times that it's really hard to stay married you get people get on your nerves and and you might think about leaving and (laughs) Or, or you might have issues. You might have issues at church where, just like you have issues in a marriage, if there's people here other than yourself, there's probably going to be some issues you run into, you know, not getting along with people or something. Uh, but each time in my marriage that we have stuck it through, and each time I've, you know, I've been in this church where I've been like, I do not want to be here, I want to go, blah, 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 or i have going through things in my personal life. Uh, but God kept me connected here, and it's uh, each time we've stayed, we've grown deeper roots with the people here, deeper roots in God. God uses hard things, as I said, to mature you, and, um, and each time you stay planted, he plants you. There's a chur- I feel like there's a church that everybody fits in and is supposed to be at. It might not be here, but there's a church you belong at, and he'll plant you there, and plant is means you stay there, you know, And uh, each time you stay through it, you grow and mature, and that's the way God matures us in lots of things. It's not just you get saved and you go to church and then that's who you are. He changes you all the time. I mean, he's changing us over the years constantly, you know, through things you go through, just through sticking with him. Um, I'm thankful that I have a husband that leads our family. He didn't give us our, we don't really have a, A choice when it's Sunday or Wednesday you know (laughs) unless somebody's throwing up or or you're you know we're out of town we're at church and he's always said and that's the same way he does about ministry about the jail this is he said tells me this is who I am and this is what I do and like it can seem um, extreme or whatever at times but When I look at the fruit of our family and how when we go through things or when we feel, if we don't just feel, I just know, I've seen it so many times, if you go by how you feel, you will not be here. And as soon as you start getting out, your life will start, if you're not going forward with God, you're going backwards. And it's not just about this church building or being in a building. It's, you know, I I know people who go to church 20 years, and some of them aren't even saved or have, you know, they're, they haven't changed, but it's the spirit of God, which I believe is here in this building, and that the people have all through the 20 years and before um, truly seek God here, and and so it's not just going to a building, and it's not just you know yes you can have God at home, but it's the combination of the church which Jesus wants He's building, and you do life together, um, and so I'm thankful for this church family and all y'all, and uh, I just love my church and thankful that He. Let me get up here and talk.
0: There's always been a spark between us. But I didn't know how much. Y'all see who keeps me straight now. I'm so blessed. We'll turn to 2 Peter 1. We'll open with that. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 2. This is, this is just an opening statement. You know how they do in the beginning of the Bible. You, just, you write a letter and you say your greeting. This is just part of a greeting. But this is more, I mean, this is, this is a way to start a greeting right here. Check this out. In the King James, he says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. Now, how many likes grace and peace? That's why you're here today. Just be honest about it. You need somebody to help you, and you need some peace about it. This life is driving you crazy. This world is tough on all of us, and we all need God's grace because, and we need His mercy. But it says right here grace and peace be multiplied, exponential growth. And how do you get that? Just sitting here 20 years? No. Through the knowledge, say knowledge, knowledge Knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. Now, I'm not talking about just knowing about knowledge, because I looked up that word in the Greek, and the word is epignosis, E-P-I-G-N-O-S-I-S, and it means a deep, precise, and a correct knowledge. Knowledge. It means knowing somebody deeply and knowing the real person, not just some Jesus you've imagined in your mind, the one you want him to be. He's not that person. That's called a cult, the one they want him to be. But the real Jesus, knowing him. In fact, in the message translation, this same scripture opens grace and peace to you many times open over as you deepen in your experience. So it doesn't just say in the knowledge, it's an experience. As you experience the real Christ, God and Jesus our Master. I'm starting a new series today because of I Love My Church Month. And the new series is entitled, I Love My Church, 2018. And today's message is part one, calling calling it Knowing God. And so if you have your bulletin and it's got the little blanks on there and you're filling it out, that's usually the first question. The title of the sermon is part one, Knowing God. And if you've never flipped that thing over, it's got some precious announcements on the back to keep you up to date with what we're doing here. Did I ever tell y'all about the time I said the sinner's prayer before I got saved? (laughs) Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody ever said the sinner's prayer before they got saved? I did a couple times. Uh, I guess I was about 30 years old at the time and just had my first kid, Kaylee, my daughter, and me and Angie were looking at each other, like we said, going through some difficulties, and we said, we need to do something. We need to go to church. And a lot, of, Like a lot of young couples, you, you want to give your children a chance, even if you feel like you're too far gone, like it ain't for you, but they, people will come to church and give their children a chance to know God because something deep down inside says that's the, really the right way, even though I... I don't personally choose it. (laughs) But anyway, but I I did too. I wanted to know God a little closer. So we got all gussied up. We found the biggest church that we could find because we we didn't want any personal setting like in here. We didn't want to sit next to nobody. We went to this huge church, and it was like on the third or fourth flight we was on the way up. We went so far up in the balcony, they gave you like an oxygen mask to sit there and some binoculars to watch the preacher and, and... And I mean, we was going pretty regular, like at least once a month or so back then. And so, and I don't know what was wrong with this preacher, but every Sunday we were there, like I said, it wasn't every Sunday that we went, but when we did, he was still talking about Job. He was on a series on Job, and for the three or four months we went there, the whole time we were there, he was talking about Job. Now, I could barely work up one sermon on Job, but he was still going on Job, but one day... He must have did an altar call at the end or something, and it touched my heart, and it got me to thinking, and I said, come on, Angie, let's go down to the front. And I didn't know what the altar call was, but he said, come on down if this or that, and I said, I'm responding. Something in me jumped up, and I said, let's go, and so we started descending them stairs, and, and I felt like if I had a parachute, I could have just jumped off you know, and got there quicker. But we made our way down. By the time we got there, the only person still there was the janitor. He was vacuuming in the front. You know, <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, they were still there, but we were the last ones to get there. It was took so long to get there. But we got there, and and uh, they said, "What is it you need prayer about?" And I said, "I just want to be a better man. I want to be a better man in my house." And he says, "Would, would y'all come to the back and let us?" talk with y'all and we said okay so they took us back in the back I'm not kidding it was like an interrogation Uh, they put us in some two different glass rooms I could see angie and they had her over there talking to somebody else I was talking to the one guy and I guess I didn't know what he was talking he was talking about this gospel stuff about Jesus on the cross and all that and I was like yeah 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 but I'm just here to be a better man tell me how to do that and so he, he actually led me. Now I look back and I realize he led me through the sinner's prayer and I said everything. And he said, now how do you feel? And I said, I feel like I'm going to be a better man. And, but I wasn't no more saved. You know, in Romans when it talks about confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart, you have to believe in your heart. what You have to understand what you're saying. Just saying a prayer don't get you saved. It, I didn't get no more saved than when I was in the Catholic church when I was 12. And they put you through confirmation where they teach you about Jesus, and then you go forth and you confess Jesus as your Lord. That's kind of, they, they put you through it. But I just did it because everybody else did it. So that's at least two times that I confessed Jesus as Lord but wasn't saved yet. So it can happen. See, what it was was I wanted a formula for life, but I didn't want any epinosis with Jesus. I wanted the knowledge of how to live my life, but I didn't want any knowledge of Jesus. I didn't want the relationship. With, I wanted results without relationship. How many knows it don't work like that? <laughs> Christianity without relationship is described by Brother Tim in 2 Timothy 3.5 when he says, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. You you look like a Christian. You may try to act like a Christian. You may get gussied up for church. But you're denying the very power that would really change you. In the New Living Translation, it says, they will act religious, but they will reject the power that can make them godly. Do Do you just want to act religious, or do you really want to be godly? I really wanted to be a better man, but I didn't understand the way to that grace and peace was through the deep and intimate and real relationship with the truth, and his name is Jesus. Amen? Amen. Am I preaching all right? Is anything making sense so far? Now, uh, I think about that woman caught in the act of adultery, poor thing. Caught in the act of adultery. Now you, you, I don't know what these religious leaders were doing. It sounds like they were trying to trap Jesus. And so they must know that this woman normally had this escapade at a certain time or something and waited outside until she got in the act and then drug her out. Probably didn't barely get her dress good before they threw her at Jesus' feet. And this woman's got to be just, oh my goodness. You know, I didn't want my sin exposed. You know, I... Her life is probably a mess in the first place, and now this is what she needs, a bunch of religious people coming, jerking her out and exposing her sin in front of everybody in a public setting. And imagine what she must have been thought. If, if the guys that have, have her by the scruff of the neck right now are fixing to throw her at this other guy, this guy's fixing to rail on her and really publicly embarrass her. But much to her surprise, this guy shows her mercy and forgiveness. This guy acts like he's actually on her side. That he has empathy for her. And that he wants to see her life changed. Not just make himself feel better because she's less than. I mean, they had the stones in her hand, they were ready. See, that's what religion is. It's picking up a bunch of stones. But that's why I love this church. We dropped them stones a long time ago. Jesus said, let him without sin cast the first stone. We all went, woo We're all in this boat together. And so we dropped the stones. And he says, where are your accusers? And she said, they're gone he says, well, neither do I accuse you. But he did say, go and sin no more. Because I got a better plan for your life. And just on his word, I believe this woman, just on that brief encounter, just at his feet for a a few minutes, if that, it changed her whole direction. It redirected her life that she's going to get up and go and sin no more. Now, many of the theologians and stuff, they think that may have been Mary Magdalene that you read about. The woman that it says that he had cast seven demons out of. That it may have been Mary Magdalene, the one that had been cast at his feet. And caught in the act of adultery. I don't know. We don't know for sure. But uh, just a moment. Understanding the grace of God. What was What's the lyrics to that song we just sang? What we sang over and over? Say it again. Uh, but before that it says, I am chosen, not forsaken. You are for me, not against me. And then you begin to understand who you are. You begin to understand that you're not better than anybody else, but you're not worse than anybody else and that you are valued, and that your life matters. Jesus calls us to go into all the world and make disciples. And that's another reason I love this church, because we've got, we got a firm grip on what we're called to do. Can you put that first slide up here? We're about making true disciples who take up their cross and follow the Lord. Now, we talked about this a long time ago for those of you who are here, but this is what we do as a church. When we look at the disciple-making process, we, we understand it like this, that Sunday is when we gather. See, a lot of churches make everything about the Sunday morning service. The, everything that they do is building towards the Sunday morning service, but not us. We don't see it like that. We see the gathering as the starting place in a discipleship making process. And as you move, movement equals growth. Growth in the people, it equals growth in the church. If we have people moving through the different stations, then there's growth in the people. And then, there that, that's a, anything growing is going to cause other things to grow around it. And so, we gather, and we connect. That means we make relationships with one another. And, uh, we, we start to feel a sense of ownership. We connect with the church itself. We've, that's my church. It's not Pastor Guy's church anymore. That's my church. That's where I go. And so you begin to connect, and through that process, you go on down till you begin to develop the gifts that you have. And then you mobilize, you put those gifts into action, and before you know it, you're gathering other people to the next Sunday service. And as you go around that th- that's the way the church does things. That's, that's the passion way. Now, can I get you to go to the second slide? As an individual, as, as a person, this is the way it happens in your life. And I found that it coincides perfectly with what we're doing. When you first need to know God, and that's what we're talking about here today, knowing God. Secondly, you need to find freedom. Then you need to discover your purpose. Then you begin to make a difference. And then you go, then you help somebody else know God. And so you're, you're personally moving around this same, same thing because gathering together is where we learn to know God. When we connect, we find freedom because personal discipleship is where you you open up to somebody, you're much more likely to tell people your issues and problems when you have a a connection with somebody and they've got into your heart. And then you begin to find freedom. And so after you find freedom, you begin to discover, I'm here for a reason. You begin to, you get out of that stage where it's just about getting my life together. Then you begin to say, what do I do with my life now? I got it together. And you discover your purpose. And that's where we, we help you develop. And then you begin to make a difference with your life. Does that make sense? To everybody? But what happens if you don't know God first? None of that other stuff happens. You sit on that purple pew and you clock in and you feel good about yourself, but you go and you do not change at all. And you do not take up your cross and follow the Lord. Look at your neighbor and say, movement equals growth. Can a simple sermon change your life? It can. But I'm going to tell you this. There's been people there's been a lot of sermons in America. Lecturing from a pulpit, one man using his gift to try to talk to you from afar is probably the least effective way for somebody to retain knowledge and to put something in a uh, into action in their life they say you may remember about 10 percent of what i'm saying here today you may remember one thing by the time you leave here and you talk to seven people and you get in a fight with your wife in the parking lot and y'all can't decide where to go to lunch you have forgotten most of what i tell you it's an ineffective way that's really the way we're teaching our students and that's why we're falling behind in education because you have one person lecturing from the pulpit I got a uh, nephew who's going to a trade school, and and he's doing the job. And I told him, I said, I bet you learn more in one semester than them knuckleheads in the universities listening to some far-off professor preach than they do in four years, because you're hands-on. Now, if I had this chair right here taken apart, I got to drill and, and undid everything and laid all the parts out there, and I got up here with the manual and I told everybody how to put that chair together, y'all would come back next week and that chair would be upside down. None of you would be able to put it together. But if me and you, after the service, got together, and we got, it, got down on our hands and knees in the carpet, and we had the manual, and we read the manual, and we put it together one piece at a time, hands on, and showed you, I guarantee you, next week, you'd be able to put that chair together. Don't you agree? So there's something to relational discipleship and that's where this church is headed we're we're going to start to be more of a hands-on person-to-person discipleship church now i'm not going to spill all the beans today but i'm just saying get ready dr virgil grant says without relationship there is no discipleship just the passing of information How did Jesus do it? How did Jesus do something that's still growing today? How did he start something in three years that's still going today that has radically changed the world? Well, you say, he preached to the multitudes. Yes, he did. He preached to huge crowds. He fed the multitudes. He did a lot of stuff with big crowds. But he also walked with twelve people and others who would, would would willing to come along, but he invested even in that twelve. He he really invested in three that was really getting it, and he poured himself into those people. Well, why do I say that? Because ten days after he was ascended to heaven, he had told them to go wait in Jerusalem, and there was only 120 disciples in the upper room. He had preached the thousands and thousands had heard him lecture but i guarantee you out of those 120 those were the ones who had done life with jesus they didn't know about jesus they knew jesus they had epinosis of jesus they knew what he liked for breakfast they knew his pace They knew where he wanted to go before he said where he wanted to go. They knew Jesus. Do you want an upper room experience? Or do you want an upper balcony experience? Let me say that again. That was pretty good. Every now and then something comes out good. Do you want an upper room experience like those 120 who were filled with the Holy Ghost and went out and got 3,000 people saved that day? Or do you just want an upper balcony experience where you sit up there and listen to Job? <laughs> That's good stuff right there. I don't care who you are. <laughs> Philippians 3.8, Apostle Paul said, Everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord. It's it's worthless. This is the most important thing. Every now and then I preach this message in a different way. But we keep coming back. The most important thing, you don't want religion without relationship. This is the most important thing. We're we're talking about getting to know. The opportunity to know the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. To have a personal relationship with the great I Am. The Prince of Peace. The Alpha and Omega. Your beginning and your end. The one who wrote the story of your life. And he's patient. You'll find. And he's forgiving. Just like. The lady cast at his feet found out. He's gentle, he's humble, he's prayerful, he's wise. These are things that you want to be. You want to be a better man? You want to be a better woman? We all did. The the desire I had at that church that day was a good desire. I just didn't know how to go about it. Nobody told me I need to know him. When I know him, I realize he's virtuous, he's loving, he's giving and forgiving. He's the things that I want to be, and I can't be without him. I had tried. I had tattooed a little cross on my hand when I was 21 years old, thinking if I see that, I'll I'll try to be better. But all the willpower in the world and all the tattoo ink in the world ain't going to make you a better man. It's something that goes on in the heart. He tattoos his love in your heart is what what needs to happen. He writes his love letter in your heart. Life doesn't begin until you know the real Jesus. And and that's what we're about. I mean, we got it right, written right over here. Our, where we're going, our long-term vision is so, a place for people to find the real Jesus. The loving, forgiving, but yet go and sin no more, Jesus. The one who will help you and walk with you. And is offering to be with you every moment. That's that's where the real happens. Are you satisfied just knowing about him? I mean, even the devils know about him and they tremble. you you got no motivation or confidence to act on his word. No, no faith built in your heart unless you know the one who spoke the word. You know, I could tell you to go down to my bank and draw out a thousand dollars and you'd say, you're kidding. You know, I don't trust you. You wouldn't even go. Well, Jesus is saying, go down to my bank and draw out of eternal life. If he gave us his only son, will he not... Give us with that everything else that we need? He said, now I want you to have life and life more abundantly, not just little stuff you've been living. You got the right desires, but understand, it only comes through me. I am the way. I am the gate that leads to eternal life. Without me, you'll always be riding that fence, trying to see how close you can get to sin. devil luring you out. You won't have the power to overcome sin. It's in your relationship. I can't sin because I love Jesus too much. (laughs) It hurts me to even think about hurting him. There's millions of people in church. Every Sunday. They know about Jesus, but they don't know Jesus and their lives never change. And you can't tell them from the world. If somebody just looked at your life, could they tell you're a Christian? You know, they looked at the disciples, and and I perceive they've been with Jesus. They were unlearned men, but I perceive that they had been with Jesus. There was something different. Even in the Old Testament, Moses came down with his face glowing. I'm telling you. It ain't hard living the life you want to live when the Spirit of God is on the inside of you and you know Him. We're trying to do it the real hard way in our flesh. Willpower. I'll try to be good. I'll tattoo it on my hand. An idiot. I went down to the Walmart and got some Indian ink and stabbing myself with a, a pen. And I even made a mistake. I put it. Up. I was wanting to do it in the middle. I did it off to the side and tried again. I didn't realize that I'd already made a mistake. And... But you got to find the real Jesus. You know, Judas walked with Jesus for three years. Well, how could that happen? He walked with Jesus, and then he betrayed him at the end. It's because Judas never took time to to. See who Jesus really was. In his mind, the whole time he pictured Jesus as this conquering Messiah was coming back on a white horse that was going to overthrow the Roman Empire and set up his kingdom now. He didn't realize that he would come as a suffering servant first, and then he would come on the white horse. But when he began to think, well, he's not doing what I think he should do, how many knows Jesus ain't doing what you think he should do in the first place? We need him. He don't need us. And so Judas betrayed his Lord. But the real Jesus is so much better than anything you could ever conjure up in your own mind. When I think about who he is and what he's done and how the the mysteries of the gospel and and how he has put us all in the same boat so that we can all experience the same grace and the wonders of the universe and the... the, ah, It just makes your mind go (laughs) tilt. Everything you look at the the human eye and how it it tears up and 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 zooms in, and i you know and some of us zoom in like that way no, but just i mean come on how 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 silly do you have to be to say that there is no God, how desperate do you have to be to try to To fool yourself into thinking that there's nobody to be held accountable to. And that's what the world is doing. All these theories are just that. People wanting to stay in their sin. And not come for fear that if they come out into the light, they'll be exposed. They just want to do what they want to do. And they're so lost. And Jesus looks at them. and He doesn't say, well, them people. He says, come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. You don't have to. Act like that. Do like that. That's the, the wages of sin is death. Don't you know that? Come to me. I'll show you abundant life. The devil's here to kill, steal, and destroy, but I'm here to give you life and life more abundantly. Come to me and go and sin no more. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Man, I ain't giving my life. I ain't giving my blood, sweat, and tears up here. I'm giving everything that I got in my life for some made-up figure that I have in my own mind, some religious deal. I'm not doing that. I I have given everything to the real Jesus. And I have humbled myself at his feet and say, you be Lord. I'm not your Lord. You're my Lord. And I'm I'm serving the real Jesus. I ain't playing that. Say, homie, don't play that. The real Jesus requires more than just a passive allegiance, you understand. If you understand who he really is, you can't just say, Oh, yeah, that's cool. That's pretty pretty cool. You know, maybe one day we'll get together. (laughs) No, the very nature of our undescribable God necessitates an untamed, unrestrained, uncompromised, radical response. You have to be radical if you know the truth about Jesus. (laughs) You can't. The biggest proof to the resurrection was that all his disciples were willing to be martyred for their faith. How do you you say that this man didn't really raise from the dead when all the people who saw him raised from the dead were willing to give their life for him? Nobody's going to give their life for a lie. They were radical. You need to learn to live radical because you have a radical God. Our Lord is a warrior. We need to learn to be warriors too. (laughs) It was Mary Magdalene that got up early on Sunday morning, the day of resurrection. Remember that? She went to the tomb. She was wanting to put some spices on the body of her Lord Jesus who had recently been crucified. I don't know if it's the same Mary that was thrown at his feet. I don't know if it's the same Mary that days before had anointed him with her perfume and at great cost broken alabaster box over him and wept and wiped his feet with her tears I, I don't know if it was that same Mary but there's a chance it might have been the same Mary but even if it was three Marys these are women who understood the glory of our risen Lord And who was the first one to see our risen Lord? The first one there. The one who got up before daylight to go there. And he appeared to Mary. So you got a fish bumper sticker. Congratulations. (laughs) You got a t-shirt. Yeah, that's good, that's good. But you but you say, I love Jesus, but I got my own life to live. No. Let me correct you. You don't love him. You don't know him. Many will say to him on that day, Lord, Lord, I did this and I did that. But it saved apart from me, I never knew you. There was no epinosis. There was no real relationship between me and you. Don't say, I love Jesus, but I just do my own thing. That I just go to church on Sundays. I don't care how many times you said the sinner's prayer. If, his, if, if the, the radical Lord that I serve is not impacting your life, so it's making a difference in the way you live your life, if if he's not Lord and telling you how to live your life, if you don't even consult him with the decisions you make, you don't know him, my friend. Well, how, do I, how, how do I get to know him, Pastor? Well, it takes some effort. And that's what a lot of us are not willing to give, any effort. There's people in here that you, you would say you know. If You saw them at Walmart. You'd wave at them. And in here you shake their hand on Sundays. And you may know their name. But you don't really know, know them. You know about them. And it isn't until you invite them over to your house. Or you invite them to lunch. Or, or you put in some effort to listen to their heart for a moment to hear their dreams, to see their situation, to express yourself to them, you begin to build an epinosis of them. There begins to develop a real relationship. Relationships take effort. But I tell you, they're worth the effort. Because then you have a friend for life. And when you know Jesus, you come into covenant with him, and everything he has is yours, and everything you have is his. You can't say, I I know Jesus, but I'm going to do my own thing. That's not covenant. You're either his, and he is yours, or you just know about Jesus. How do I get to know Him? We'll put forth a little extra effort. (laughs) John 17.3 says. Jesus says. Pray unto the Father. He says. And this is the way to have eternal life. To know you. The only true God. And Jesus Christ. The one you sent to the earth. This is eternal life. To know. And this word know is not the word epinosis. I was surprised to see that. In fact. It's a bigger word. The word in the Greek is gnosko. And it means to know absolutely. It even means to feel. To know absolutely. To feel. The Jews use this word to signify the relations, the intimate relations between a man and a woman. Like in Genesis where it said Adam Gnoscoed Eve, and they had a child. Yeah, it did. That's the word. (laughs) Knew. No. gnosco. That was the word used when Adam knew Eve, and they had a child. Gnosco. That's not just some casual know about. If you're doing that, then you're doing it wrong. That's why... Fornicators, God will judge because that's serious business to him. Acts 17, 27 says, God's purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. Though he is not far from any of us. For in him, we live and move and exist. In him, we live and live. And move and exist. In Him, we live and move and exist. Apart from Him, we die. We stay stagnant. And we desist, I guess. I don't know. But in Him, we live and move and exist. You don't know how to know Jesus? His, his, his love letter to you is probably sitting in your lap right now. He will send His spirit into your heart. in you. You, in him, in him, you live, move, and exist. When you give your heart to Jesus, there it becomes a oneness, a gyscope. That comes along with a lot of epinosis. Y'all yeah, didn't know I was a Greek scholar, did you? First two Greek words I ever pulled out. No. I barely know English. Where was I going For I interrupted myself? But his character witnesses are right there to your left and right. Everything in this church better be pointing you to Jesus. If it's not, you let me know. And we need to be out there in the darkness being the light of the world. We need to be out there being a lighthouse to those who don't know Him. And when they're cast at your feet, you don't point fingers at them and get your stone out. You show them mercy, compassion, and empathy, love. You become a Christian by believing. But you grow as a disciple by knowing. By epinosis and gnosco. We'll close with Ephesians chapter 1. I am, I yams who you says I am. Okay, if you don't know who you yams, I I want to assign you a reading assignment. You read the first chapter of it. Ephesians today when you leave here. But I'm just going to read the 17th and 18th verse in the King James. This is Paul. He's he's just, he's like me, man. He's got this pastor's heart. He's wanting you to know Man, this this could be yours. He's telling you all the good things, and he says that the God of our Lord Jesus, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of revelation and wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Wisdom and revelation of who you are and how to live comes from the knowledge of Him. When you see Him, you say, oh, that's what I'm supposed to be. He says that the eyes of your understanding might be enlightened. Oh, let the light come in. Even now, Holy Spirit, as they listen. That the eyes of your understanding might be enlightened. That you may know what... Oh, no! That you may know what is the hope of your calling. Why you're here, my friend. And what is the riches of the glory of the inheritance in the saints. How good it's going to get because you're walking into the things that you are. (laughs) I ain't looking to hide in the rafters any longer. Last week I closed with this scripture and I'm going to close with it again today. John 832, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free.
1: Thanks for listening to the podcast today.